And we're going to dig in in Romans chapter 6 today as we, um, like I said, we're going to go um, through these next few weeks, and, and this is going to feel a little more like a Bible study than maybe a lot of what we've done over the last few months. I believe that the three chapters of, that are in the middle of Romans, Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, are foundational to what we believe about who God is, about what Jesus means in our lives, and about how we begin to understand how that affects our world. And so we're going we're gonna to go deeply into these, and from now until the second week in July, we're just going to park in these three chapters and figure out what it means to learn uh, about God in this. Here's what it says. Here's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 6. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried by him with ba- buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be destroyed, and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died has freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, when I was in college, I had this friend. Um, when I went to college, uh, sorry, let me start here. When I went to college, I had a chance um, to go be a part of a missions organization. And as I went to college in the beginning, I would tell you that I grew up in the church, but the church and I were not, like, I really liked church, but I didn't necessarily care about faith which was an interesting dichotomy. I just really liked that I felt like I belonged in church. And I want you to know this, and this is really important. You can belong in a church before you believe anything that the person from the front is saying. And I know that's a reality for some of you in this room, that you're like, this is a great place, and I love the community, but he's kind of crazy up there. And I understand that some of you feel that way, and that's a good thing. Um, Some of you have questions about me, and that's all right, too. Uh, people in my family have questions about me, but some of you have questions about Jesus, and we want to stop and say, okay, this is a safe place to ask those questions while you're wondering, and to know that you have a place here. Um, I grew up in the church. I was a part of the church. I, I, I liked church, but I didn't necessarily know a lot about faith, and during the summer after my freshman year of college, some things happened in my life, and I became a follower of Jesus, a reader of scripture, and a a believer in what God was doing in my life in a kind of a transformative way that I hadn't before. And as I came back to college, I began to realize I was one of the few people who followed Jesus that I knew. There were a lot of people who grew up in church, but for the most part, it was like, yeah, I went there when I was in high school, but I came to college, so I don't have to do that anymore, kind of a thing, right? You, You feel that a little bit. And so, um, I, I was in this, I was in a fraternity, I was with a whole group of guys, and there were two or three of us who would have called ourselves like Christians in this particular way, and we were, we were trying to talk to other people and trying to have these conversations, but for the most part, um, most of the people I talked to didn't believe what I believed. 
And so we would have really interesting conversations all through the time. And my, one of my college roommates was in the opposite place I was. He, w- he grew up in the church, and he would have believed, and he was working his way out of the church as I was working my way in. I won't tell you his name, but his initials were Joel Towner. And so it's a great way to spill information if you need to. Uh, but, but Joel and I would have these conversations about faith. And he had lots of questions, but he knew all the rules. And I was, I had been to church, but I'd never listened before, so I didn't know any of them. I was just trying to figure out what was going on. And I remember specifically, one night we were, we were in Des Moines, we were driving down I-235, I was in the driver's seat, and Joel was in the passenger seat next to me, and we're having this spirited conversation. And finally he looks at me, and he says, it really doesn't matter what you do anyway. I said, what do you mean? He goes, it doesn't matter what you do because the reality is is that God's grace is so good that everything will be forgiven. So I can do whatever I want in my life. And as long as at the end I ask God for forgiveness, I'll be forgiven. I remember being horrified by this idea, frightened by it. And this is what I think— it just doesn't make any sense to me. But this is what Paul says in the beginning of this book. What then are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? This idea, everybody who comes up with this idea thinks they figured it out for the first time. By the way, every middle schooler comes up with this idea, and they're all amazed. They're all astounded that they've figured it out, and they've trapped me, and they all think that they've discovered something that nobody else has ever figured out before. This one is so old that Paul, 30 years after Jesus died, has to deal with this question. Everybody understands this giant loophole in Scripture. What are we to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? And then Paul responds to his own question. By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? Paul is as horrified by this idea as I am. We're trying to figure out, like, this doesn't make any sense. You can't just do whatever you want and then come back and be like, hey, God, I need you to bless all this mess. You know, just figure it out and make it all work together. I don't know what's going on. He's trying to figure out what the argument is. And up to this point, Paul's been making an argument. Here it is. That people are sinful, that God loves them. God loves them so much that he gives this amazing gift of Jesus who justifies them, who makes them right with himself. And nothing you did earned it. Nothing you did can make you deserve what God has given for you. It is this amazing free gift, which again leaves itself open to this idea that we can do whatever we want and God will forgive, which is technically true. It's technically true. But the thing about it is, is that when I was talking to Joel, and maybe you've had this conversation or you've thought it, I didn't have the ability to figure out, why doesn't that make sense? I know in my gut that that sounds wrong. But it doesn't, I can't figure out how to articulate what it is about that life that doesn't sync up, that doesn't seem to be going the right way, that seems to be off in some way. You see, Paul wants to ask this question. If we've died to sin, how can we still want to be a part of it? And I think Paul knows something that we have to be willing to learn in this moment, which is this. If we still see sin as desirable, we haven't understood its effects. 
I remember being in fourth or fifth grade, somewhere in that age range, when they started to teach us about the parts of world history that just weren't Columbus and um, the, the Native Americans had picnics together. You know, it was like bigger than that and more complicated than that. And one of the first things I remember reading about or learning about was the, um, two, the two situations during World War II where the U.S. dropped atomic bombs on Nagasaki and on Hiroshima. And part of the reason I remember so clearly learning about it is that in those two, I got to see pictures of the aftermath of those two things. Now, if you've seen a picture of something like that, you know, and it's not necessarily about which country is right or wrong or whatever it is, but there's something horrifying about the idea of nuclear weapons because you look at the devastation and you go, we cannot, we cannot let that be the solution. Again, we have to find solutions before we get to that point. And so every time I'm watching on TV and I'm, I, I happen to end up watching one of those shows or a, a, a clip online where somebody's really mostly shouting and they're just angry and you can't quite figure out what's going on, and then eventually they'll get to this point and they'll be like, we're not going to solve it until we just... And it's like they're holding back and holding back and they say, nuke them. And the minute they say those words, I shut down. I'm like, I I can't listen to you. Because if we knew what we were saying, if we knew the effect of what that was, we wouldn't propose this as a plan. We'd be a little bit scared. We'd hold back in some way. We wouldn't want people to be, we wouldn't want people or to to be suggesting this and it wouldn't be an idea of what we would do because we're going, this is too much, this is too scary, and we cannot go there. I think sin is the same way. When we begin to understand the actual effect of when we hurt each other and we hurt ourselves, we go, we don't want to go back there. You know, there's this idea, we want to go back, we want to do all the fun things we did. And then we begin to really remember the fun things that we did when we were younger and not nearly as bright, or those moments where we've done something and we begin to remember the effects of the choices that we made and we begin to realize that actually the effects of sin look like this. Hurt, pain, fear, brokenness. And if we were really thinking about it, would we want to sink ourselves back into it? This is what Paul is asking. Do we want to go there? Here's what he says. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And, this is, and then he adds this. Therefore, we've been buried by him with baptism into death, just so that Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too might walk in newness of life. I think what Paul is saying is this. Is this some kind of joke? God offered you new, whole, everlasting life. And you want to go back to to what now? God offered you something beautiful and wonderful, and you want to go back in some way? Really? And amazingly enough, human nature says we want to go back. In fact, there is this old story in the Old Testament about a guy named Moses. Moses goes to the Israelites. He says, I'm going to take you out of Egypt. He goes to the Egyptian ruler who is making them slaves. He says, we're going to leave. All these crazy things happen. And finally, the, the Pharaoh says, why don't you get out of here? And so Moses and the Israelites are marching across the desert, and they're making their way across. They go through a sea 
I mean, the walls of water part. They get to the other side. They show up. They say, is there any food? And God provides magical food that shows up on the ground every morning, and they just pick it up and eat it. This sounds really great. And the Israelites decide, you know what? Actually, we don't like the variety here. We should go back to where we were way back in, in Egypt when we actually had meat. Wouldn't that be great? Let's go back and be slaves. Can you imagine Moses' frustration? I took you out of that. You want to go back? This is Paul's frustration too. God's offering you something else. And for some reason, something inside us says, but it was so much better. It was so much better before when I did what I wanted and I thought what I wanted and I felt what I wanted and I took care of myself first. And I didn't worry about all this stuff about God and love and caring for one another and turning my life over to this God. God is offering you new life and you want the old stuff back. I think back to the first car I owned. I didn't own. I'm sorry. The first car that was given to me by my parents. My dad's here sometimes and he'd probably correct you on this point. I didn't own any cars until the one that I own pretty much now. Um, but, but my dad gave me this car and my mom and dad had had a plan all along. You see, they wanted to make sure I would get a car. So when I turned 16, and then a few months later when I actually got my driver's license, they gave me a car. And the way they did with this is that my mom had an Oldsmobile 98. It was a 1986 Oldsmobile. It drove around. It had forward and reverse and heat and sometimes air conditioning. It was great. And she was driving it all the time, and I'm thinking, what kind of car am I going to get? What kind of car am I going to get? And I get old enough, and we start looking at the dealerships, and we're driving around, and we're figuring these things out, and we're kind of looking at cars. And they buy a car. They buy a brand-new Chevy Tahoe. And I got the Oldsmobile. And that's how that works, right? My mom got a new car, and I got the old one. But that car was freedom for me. And if I think back to it right now, it sounds great. It was fun to be able to drive around with the windows down and go to Dairy Queen when I wanted to, hang out with my friends on into those summer evenings. That's what I think about when I think about that car. What I forget is that the uh, carpeting on the roof, the the upholstery on the roof, was kind of sagging down and it would sit on your head. It made a lot of creaking noises as it went around corners. Sometimes it would stall out an intersection and you had to get it going again kind of a thing. It was one of those cars. And sometimes I get sentimental. And I think back to how good it was. Because there are some fun memories. But the reality is, is that a newer car that's more reliable is better. The one that's given to me now may not be as sentimental, but it's better. God is giving us life that is better. And Paul wants us to know this, that you are given something that you might be nostalgic for the old life, but what God has for you that's new is better. In fact, he adds this, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in the, so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Before God, what you had owned you. If, if you're kind of going like, I'm not sure what's going on here and I don't know what you're talking about, I want you to hear this. When we live for ourselves and not for God, it owns us. But the life that Jesus offers in himself frees us. 
it frees you from worrying about whether or not you can be cared for. Because Paul is making this important point that your fear, your hurt, and your brokenness, they all died with Jesus. And what you're given is a life that can't be taken away from you. What you're given is hope that can't be taken away from you. Don't let this go. What you had before owned you. When you're stuck in sin, it owns you. So the question is, how do we get unstuck from it? Paul says, for whoever has died is freed from sin. Now there's an elegant solution. Just die. That's the, you know, solve, problem solved. No, no, no. But hold on here. Listen to what he's saying. Paul wants you to hear something really important. You see, here's what he says in verses 8 to 10. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. And this is where Paul turns their question of, should we just go on doing what we've been doing because we know God forgives? And he says, here is an invitation. You don't have to wait for the good life to start. You don't have to wait for God's presence in your life. You don't have to keep putting this off and putting this off and putting this off and hope that it gets figured out at the end. He says, here and now, know this. Jesus died for you. You are loved by God, and you don't have to be afraid about what the future looks like because don't you know that when we die, that dies from us. But when we live, we live with him as well. Paul is desperate for them to see what these words mean, once for all, or translated a different way, once and for all. He wants them to stop wandering back from the hope that is in God, back to the pain and the heartache of their own choices that hurt themselves and others. He wants them to stop looking back nostalgically at when they hurt hurt themselves, at when they broke relationships, and instead to hear this good news that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that none would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. He wants them to see this important news. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean for us? That means something really important. Paul Paul wrote the beginning of Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. For everyone who has faith. And Paul is going to make some really good arguments over these next couple chapters. He says, you're a slave. That's how this works. You are in slavery. You are owned by something. Is it going to be sin? Is it going to be ourselves? Or are we going to say, I am amazed by what God has given us and I choose to be God's servant. I choose to be God's child. I choose to let God have ownership over my life. You see, so you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Be the servant of one who loves you. Choose to serve one who loves you. 
and remember that when you do, there's nothing to fear. I had an old pastor when I was, um, I think it was about when I was in college about this time, and he would say over and over again, the only thing, the only death you have to fear is the one that's behind you in your baptism. You don't have to be afraid of anything coming forward. God's got you. Just be scared of going back. Don't go back. Don't trade in the good stuff for something that sounded like a good idea. Don't trade this in. Instead, Paul says, God has something better for you. Life forever. Life with him. Life in his presence here and now. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you have invited us in that you love us and that you'll never let us go. We pray that you'll continue to surround us with your grace and mercy and that we will be renewed, that we can see that all these things that are in our past have died and all these things that are in our future are of you as we are joined to your son Jesus forever. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and together God's people said, amen.